season of Oh My Heck. And you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there for you to listen to, and I appreciate you choosing and coming back to this one. Now, if you're new, welcome. So I try to demystify the beliefs of the Mormon church and Mormon culture to my audience uh, without being insulting to the individuals who still believe, even though I no longer do. Um, Now, I have been busy with the release of my latest novel called And It Came to Pass, and it's a story that follows a devout, true blue Mormon guy. His name's Adam Young, and it follows him as he embarks on his mission to Barcelona and realizes he doesn't quite believe all of the Mormon doctrine, and he's actually a gay man in love with his companion. And if I may, USA Today called it an eye-opening and wonderful book. And Carolyn Pearson, feminist and Mormon author, called it raw and powerful, and that Mormons, quote, own experience of love will not be complete without understanding the love discovered in my book. Uh, Just so you know. So it's been a busy and awesome time for me. Thanks. By the way, And It Came to Pass is available directly through my publisher, Interlude Press. That's a boutique press whose goal is to produce the finest quality literature with LGBT protagonists available. Um, You can also get it on Amazon, at Barnes & Nobles, Target, um, through iBooks, um, etc. And oh, hey, don't forget your local library. Um, If it's not there, just ask your local librarian to grab a copy for you. I mean, first of all, that saves you money. And then second of all, you just made a librarian's day because they get a new book budget, but they just need folks like you to trigger its use. So there we go. Uh, thank you for the business portion. <laughs> it is now coming to a close. So a story has gone viral in the news recently about this sweet young lady, Savannah, who's 12 years old. Now she spoke in her Mormon church's Sunday service, a particular one that we're going to talk about today and came out as a lesbian. And she expressed her sincere belief that her Heavenly Father loved her, even though she was gay, and that she sincerely believed that he wanted her to live a life full of love. And the bishopric turned off the mic and ushered her offstage at that point. Now, I've watched the video. She is just precious and needs to be protected at all costs. And her mom and her dad love and support her. And oh, good things are coming to your life, Savannah. I know it. Now, of course, after shutting off the mic, the priesthood holder, and I believe he's the right-hand man to the bishop, the first counselor. I don't have the video in front of me right now. Um, Well, he took the chance to use the attention of the congregation to state that he had no doubt that Heavenly Father, oh, remember, Mormons don't say God. Uh, They believe that that's taking his name in vain. They call him Heavenly Father. Um, He had no doubt that Heavenly Father made everyone unique. Ugh, that's such a heavily coded word. Um, And that he was grateful for Heavenly Father's plan for all of us. And then wrapped it up with, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And the congregation murmured an amen in agreement as Savannah cried in her mom's arms outside in the foyer. And this is a true story, and it's a heartbreaking story, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk specifically about what Fast and Testimony Meeting is, and that's where this particular event happened. Like Fast and Testimony Meeting is hugely important, culturally speaking, and it's also not really that important. Oh, but it is. 
but kind of not. But like it totally, totally, absolutely is. So cognitive dissonance um, should kind of maybe be the new name of the church. Oh, I know. Believe me. So the first Sunday of every month is what's called fast and testimony meeting. And this is worldwide throughout the church. And by the way, in the Mormon church, if something is handed down from on high, it's worldwide. Um, the, the lessons are going to be the same. The programs are going to be the same. The themes are going to be the same everywhere around the world. Um, so fast and testimony meetings that all active members fast. And some of the devout members fast for 24 hours. Um, and prior to breaking that fast uh, by taking the sacrament. So that's something, the taking of the sacrament is something that happens about 18 to 20 minutes into Sunday service with the bread and the water being passed by the young priesthood holders. And those are usually the kids that are like 12 and up to about 18, unless there aren't enough of those age uh, guys to go around, in which case older men who hold the priesthood step in. Now, I know that the sacrament is passed out between 18 and 20 minutes into the service because we were that devout family who often fasted for 24 hours. Um, even though that length of time isn't really required, the church officially says two consecutive meals before church service. So that meant for most members, no dinner Saturday night and no breakfast. But if your time slot at the church house was at 11, well, church is three hours long, by the way. So you're missing lunch. And if you had the one o'clock time slot, that meant nothing until about 6 or 7 p.m. on Sunday night. It sucks. Oh, by the way, fasting is no food or water. Nada. Nothing goes in but spiritual enlightenment. So Mormons are taught that fasting is a joyful experience. <laughs> no, it isn't. Oh, but we were commanded to do this once a month because it's good for our bodies and it makes our minds more active. And I assume they mean like actively thinking of spiritual things, but I was thinking about how I could really go for a PB&J or some mac and cheese. You know, a glass of milk wouldn't have gone amiss either. But you fast, quote, with a purpose, either to, oh, gain insight into the teachings and the doctrines of the church, to solve a problem, uh, to send spiritual support someone's way in times of dire need, like, you know, sickness or what have you, or uh, to gain a closer relationship with God. So you're praying constantly, and then you take up all of that insight that you gained into church on that Sunday, and you, quote, bear your testimony. Now, it's meant to be um, like you're humbling yourself before the Lord, that type of experience, a way to strengthen your belief in the church. Oh, um, and the money you would have spent on food for those missed meals, you donate to the church. <laughs> of course you do. And you're also expected to pay your 10% of net, not gross, as a tithe on Fast Sunday. Now, when you do this, the Lord blesses you. Now, your mileage may vary on how, you know, that blessing is made manifest, but that's the promise. Now, when you're a young child in a devout Mormon family, Oh, church can absolutely be a drudgery, particularly sacrament service. Now, this is the opening meeting on Sunday. You have sacrament service, and then um, adults break off and go to a group where they have lessons taught for an hour, and then the final hour is gender, 
lessons. So the women go to one and the men go to one, or the teen girls go to one and the teen boys go to one, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so the opening meeting on Sunday is the sacrament service, and it's actually an hour and 10 minutes of potential boredom. So it's broken into the time when you're not allowed to snack, the brief period when you have to sit still and your brother or one of the other older boys passes you torn bits of Wonder Bread and wee little plastic cups of water, blah, 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 the blood and body of Christ. And then the longer stretch where you can use the pew as a table to color in your coloring book and finally be able to dive into that Ziploc bag of Cheerios. Now, there's not a good Mormon mom out there who doesn't have a plastic sandwich bag filled with Cheerios or some other non-sugared snack in their diaper bag or purse right now. And when you're a kid, and hey, I bet, you know, plenty of Mormon adults feel this way too, you know that the worst Sunday of the month, hands down, is Fast and Testimony Meeting. Now, Fast Sunday, as it's called, is a misnomer because it's anything but fast. You're already uncomfortable due to your hunger. It's compounded by the latter portion of the service, which is when members of the congregation take it upon themselves to share all that insight that they gained while fasting. Now, these are not prepared speeches for the most part. I know there's always that person who has one ready to go, but for the most part, they're not pre-planned. This is a person, quote, moved by the spirit, as it's said, who stands at the podium and shares their beliefs and then ends it with, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, to which the audience murmurs, amen, back. And that's a sign of agreement. And then the next person repeats with their insights and beliefs and so on and so on and so on until you hit that one hour and 10 mark. And lots of Sundays, we're all watching that clock, let me tell you. Now, what's really uncomfortable and kind of hilarious is when no one stands up. Because you're not going anywhere until it's been an hour and 10 minutes. Now, usually, after several minutes, someone will stand and, you know, give a quick little uh, testimony just to break the ice, so to speak. And I've never had it go longer than maybe five minutes. But that five minutes feels like a half a flipping hour. But someone's always got, you know, a funny story to share or something sad that's happened. Someone's just been bit baptized. So, you know, they're expected to bear their belief in the church. And there's also this wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of a name for certain members of the church who use this meeting as a chance to run their mouth as long as possible. And that's called sharing your story, Moni. So, you know... Not everyone is a natural storyteller, nor is everyone inherently funny. It's almost intolerable to be made to listen to someone who believes that they are both. And there's nothing worse than being trapped in a holy place where someone's trying out their gentle comic stylings to help us all learn a little something and maybe come away with stronger faith. And they're not entertaining in the slightest especially as you're sitting there and you can hear your stomach just gnawing on itself. You know there's a pot roast in the crock pot back home and this person is just going on and on and... Ugh. Okay, so what is a testimony? Now, the general idea is to profess your love of Jesus and God, of the church, of Joseph Smith and his truthfulness, um, of your bishopric, which is the local parish leaders, 
and to state that you know without question that the church is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now, often you get people who stand up, say that very thing verbatim, and then sit down. Everyone in the congregation affirms their belief in what you've said with that in unison, amen. And, you know, this can be kind of great for staying awake. But let's talk about the story monies. The folks who tell you about their flat tire during rush hour traffic and how that made them know that the church is true. Or maybe how the phone rang at exactly the time that a naughty movie was starting on the television and they knew they shouldn't watch it. That was the spirit reminding them that they needed to choose the right. And this reconfirmed for them that the church is true. Or tomatoes went on sale and it was the nick of time because just the week before, blah, 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 blah. And they paid their tithing first because that's more important than eating. Um, actual words uttered by church leaders, by the way. And their corns had been hurting, but Bishop so-and-so sent the Relief Society over with some corn pads. And Sister What's-Her-Name mentioned the tomatoes going on sale, and my son Jimmy just doesn't visit as much as I'd like. And on, and on, and on. Woo! And every kid, and a healthy portion of the adults, will watch that meeting hall clock for the hour and ten minute mark to strike, and many of us will sigh in relief when the bishop finally stands and wraps it all up with a closing prayer bow. Whoo, could be the worst day ever, y'all. Now, I will say this. I had a loving father who would sometimes sneak us out after the first portion of uh, the Sunday school two-hour block, the stuff just after sacrament service, and take us for donuts. But after a few times of doing that, he'd feel like super guilty and we'd be told that it was wrong to skip meetings and he was setting a bad example for us. And I would like to say, Dad, you set a great example for us and I appreciated it. And also, if confession is good for the soul, one of my girlfriends and I, Denise, sneaked into the chapel one fast Sunday after sacrament service and we stole a few pieces of sacrament bread. Okay, they hadn't been blessed yet. They were still just pieces of Wonder Bread, not the body of Christ. But look, I was 14. I was on my period and I was hungry. Oh my gosh, cut me some slack. Okay, small children are encouraged to bear their testimonies on Fast Sunday after they're baptized at the age of eight. Um, the age of eight, by the way, is the age of accountability in the Mormon church. But some parents bring their toddlers up to the microphone for practice runs. You know, indoctrination from the start. So you've got this four-year-old, let's say, led to the podium by mom or dad. Now there's like this step stool that's built in for shorter folks, and the microphone comes way down. My dad was the choir director, so sometimes I'd sit up there with him and I could see all this stuff going on. It was a lot of fun. So nine times out of ten, the kid jumps up on the step stool and pops the mic right into their mouth. So that's awesome, especially during cold and flu season. But mom or dad, you know, will gently pull it out and help them fold their arms and then start to whisper, coach, how to bear your testimony, teaching them what to do. Seven, 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 seven. I know this church is true. Seven, 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 seven. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. Seven, seven, seven. I love my mommy and daddy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
And then everyone in the congregation listens to this oft-repeated mantra with a well-practiced smile and then repeats, Amen. And I can still crack up just thinking about the amplified <sighs> noise of some snot-nosed four-year-old exhaling sharply with the mic halfway in his mouth. I love my daddy. <sighs> I know Joseph Smith. <sighs> every time. Every time. Now, I looked forward to testimony meetings as I became a teenager uh, because the grown-ups would compliment me on the fine testimony that I had given. Um, you know, and that's kind of like a way of encouraging kids to stay true to the church. And I got to say, it's a powerful thing to have a group of adults tell you that they admire your conviction and your spirit. You know, that sort of thing, it makes you want to stick to the plan and come up with a stronger testimony the next time you're impressed by the Spirit to bear witness. Now, I really and truly believed that I was doing as the Lord hath commanded by sitting in my seat, grabbing a few Honey Nut Cheerios from my little brother's snack bag, and thinking of ways to sound wise and enable myself to be filled with the light of Christ. But if anything, you know, I got some good and regular practice at public speaking from a kind audience, which isn't a bad thing. And Cheerios can help lower your cholesterol by several points, which is heart healthy. This was not a break from our sponsor, by the way, because I don't have any. Now, if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, oh, please feel free to contact me at my website, laura-stone.com. So testimony meeting became a powerful tool for me. You know, I honestly felt in my soul that the lessons about my faith that I clung to were complete truth, that the feelings everyone else seemed to exhibit were necessary for my salvation. But I wondered if I was feeling the truthfulness of it as significantly as those around me. I mean, there were times that people bore their souls at that mic. I mean, they needed a moment to gather their breath to stop crying, you know, overcome with joy and love or emotion for their Heavenly Father and for their beliefs. You know, sometimes I was just saying that I know this church is true. I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. I love my family. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, spiel. But if I wasn't overcome with emotion, did I even have a testimony? You know, some nights I would cry kneeling against my bed and just praying my heart out, you know, sometimes for up to an hour straight, wondering why I didn't have the same spiritual experiences that the other members had gushed about earlier that day in testimony meeting. Why hadn't I been stopped in my tracks to witness, for example, a field of white-clothed loved ones from beyond after making a decision that kept me true to Mormonism? You know, others seem to have these mystical revelations happen to them because they were so righteous. And yet, they didn't seem to happen to me. And I thought I was being righteous. And I tried to bend emotional experiences so that they would fit that mold. But I think I knew deep down I was trying to define something normal that had happened in my life as a miracle or a revelation. It wasn't something presented itself as such to me, but I needed it to be that. And every Sunday, I would hope 
that my Heavenly Father would show me that He really did love me by calming these fears and my doubts, by giving me the ability to heal my fractured family. Yeah, my parents divorced when I was a teen. And that I would finally feel clean and pure and holy, a vessel for my Heavenly Father's truth. Instead of feeling like a sinner, because I had these questions about the doctrines I was being taught. I mean, remember, it's, I know this church is true. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. That's what I was taught to say. And I remember being so confused when I was 15 years old by a contradiction in my Book of Mormon with a passage from the Bible about the nature of God. You know, the concept of the Trinity and that Mormons believe that God and Jesus are two distinct, separate beings. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I remember throwing my Book of Mormon across the room in just disgust and frustration and then being consumed with horror for abusing my scriptures. I mean, the guilt I felt for doing that was overwhelming. And I prayed so hard that night, begging God for forgiveness for my lack of faith and understanding. I mean, I remember this distinctly. And that night, I believed as I knelt in tearful prayer that I could feel the solid, warm pressure of a hand on my head. And I believed in my heart that it was my Father in heaven letting me know he saw me, he heard me, and he'd reveal the truth to me one day. Never mind that I'd wanted to experience that very sensation based on something someone else had said in testimony meeting. Because lo and behold, oh, I did. Made up and desperate revelatory moments from God seems to be a reoccurring theme, huh? But there were some powerful meetings that I can still recall to this day. You know, a childhood friend whose firstborn was severely disabled, and his testimony was all about his gratitude for being blessed with a child who would only ever know love and acceptance. A young man I'd once babysat, now at this time 19, well over six feet tall, who burst into tears and praised his mom for being the most honest and loving woman he'd ever known. And maybe the most significant one from when I was in college in Utah. You know, everything was going according to plan this particular testimony meeting. You know, the awkward pauses and then people standing and tossing out wrote, I know this is true and so forth. And then a young man took the podium, clearly nervous, and I'd never seen him before. And he fidgeted with the microphone, obviously debating whether or not to say what he felt needed saying. Now he introduced himself as Kim, recently in America from his homeland Korea to go to school after converting to Mormonism. Now the congregation was half pre-mission college students and returned missionary college students, so he had our attention with that. And he started the usual way with, I know this church is true, that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and so on. And then he broke down. And I mean chest-heaving sobs. And he gripped the podium, and he said, I'm so lonely here. I just want a friend. 
I thought we were brothers and sisters, children of God together. But no one will be my friend. I'm literally sitting here choked up remembering this. Here is this lovely young man crying, pouring out his soul. And I could see people shifting, uncomfortable with this huge breach in normalcy. And I sat there on my hard pew, crying, my hand over my mouth. And I felt what I believed at the time to be the Holy Spirit of God, compelling me to go up there and hug him. After he finished and got an incredibly uncomfortable and guilty, amen, from the members, I did. I hugged him and I told him I would be his friend. And we sat back down together and he let me hold his hand. (laughs) I was a pushy little thing. I wanted to be friends with him. But he was so awesome. We did become friends. I liked him a lot. In fact, uh, we dated for a little bit great guy. He left the church not too long after um, and went back home to Korea. And I don't blame him at all for that decision. So testimony meetings can be these amazing moments of organic belief and emotion, you know, powerful tools when used properly. And they can be Sundays where you're just bored to tears waiting for the sixth little kid to breathe their germy, coached phrases all over the mic so you can finally sneak out and snag a snack from the minivan on your way to Sunday school. Now, for the youth, every major activity we have, you know, girls camp, boy scout camp, youth conference, they all wrap up with a testimony meeting. Indoctrination. Oh, but I loved girls camp testimony meeting. So you throw a bunch of girls from the age of 12 to 17 together for a week out where they're getting bit by mosquitoes and in the swamp. And for any of you familiar with how teenage girls operate, that means that by the end, there are approximately mm, 13,718 arguments that have broken out over a course of six days. Now, the camp manual that all girls are given even says there will be laughing, singing, praying, and maybe even some crying as you move through your days and nights at camp. Oh, honey, ain't no maybe about it. <laughs> so for about four hours, oh, because there's no time limit at camp like there is at fast and testimony meeting. It's literally about four hours long. You have a steady stream of emotional girls saying how sorry they are for pantsing Mary Jane. Uh, for putting Betty's bra in the lake? For not including Teresa in the sing-along to the bathroom? And how all of these horrible actions only made the girls' belief in Heavenly Father and the Mormon Church stronger? And how grateful she is for the leaders of this camp for showing them the way often to the bathrooms in the dark with a flashlight. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So, when I finally became a leader and took the girls camping, I had some super wasteful girls. Um, They were really, really wealthy. And they wanted to shower multiple times a day and actually brought curling irons to girls camp. Now look, I get it. I'm from Texas and we camped in the swamps of Louisiana. It's not ideal in June. 
It's gross. It's sticky. But that's camp. So I was the jerk leader who came up with an object lesson on day three, where I banned them from showering for the rest of the week. Oh, we were on a lake. They could swim several times a day. They weren't in any danger. And they slept outside in tents. So come on, it was two dang diddly days. Now they could shower right before the meeting. Aha, so they could be clean for testimony meeting in order to provide me, you know, with better entertainment than Julie wasn't my friend until we like had to team up and cook eggs over a grill pan under like, you know, falling pine needles and like we couldn't get the fire to start. So we like said a prayer and then the batter and the steel wool thing totally worked and I just love Jesus and Joseph Smith was the best prophet ever. Oh my heck, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Now it was meant to be beautiful symbolism. And, you know, we had fun with our who can grow the longest leg hair in a week contest. Hey, I'm sorry, guys, but that's what girls do when you're not around. Um, Now, I will say that my manipulation, sorry, my object lesson achieved what I wanted and that they had more time on their hands to explore deeper meanings of the world around them. And we saved a little water in the process, too. Not too shabby. So, testimony meeting. Worthless because of overuse? A tool to control? An opportunity for people to come clean publicly and maybe open each other's eyes? Well, the answer is D. It's all of the above are true. And it's interesting that more and more people seem to be using testimony meeting to leave the church. There's actually a channel on YouTube where people are recording their testimony about how the church has gone off the rails with regards to the LGBT issue in that the Mormon church is actually super really hateful towards the LGBT community, even though they themselves believe that they are loving uh, by commanding the queers to lock it up until they can get repaired on the other side. Now, I should note that cameras and recording devices in the church are verboten. So I applaud them doing it. Unfortunately, people who are devout will automatically not listen to it or pay attention to it because they feel that a sacred trust has been breached. Just a little insight for you. So let's talk about sweet little Savannah. Now this 12-year-old uh, four years beyond the age of accountability, let's remember. So save the, how can a 12-year-old know they're gay, malarkey? Because how old were you when you knew you were straight? I hate that line of argument. I hate it. It's nonsense. Okay, so here we have Savannah wanting to bear her testimony. You know, she wanted to share her beliefs as she'd been raised to do. And now according to her mother, she wanted to do this months ago but only was just given permission by her parents. And they tried to keep her from doing that. I don't want to say keep her from doing that, but they were cautious in allowing her to do that because they were worried. And with good reason. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it until it proves to no longer be true. But Utah leads the nation in suicides among LGBT youth. They are the highest anywhere else than anywhere else in the nation. Um, And just recently, a prominent leader of the church, uh, Dallin H. Oaks, said that 
he just won't know until the next life if the church's policy on homosexuals, because they always forget the bisexuals, the pansexuals, and transgender persons, you know, he just won't know until the next life if the church's policy on LGBT members has any correlation to the rising number of suicide among Mormon queer youth. And he goes on to say that no one is sadder about this sad state of affairs than he is. I'm pretty sure the parents of those kids are, but mm, who's to say? So Savannah's parents didn't want her putting a target on her back, so to speak. And I get that as the mother of three queer children. I mean, I understand that profoundly. But what Savannah said in her testimony, her fervent beliefs are that she knows she has a Heavenly Father who loves her. And she knows that she has a family who loves her. And that she knows because Heavenly Father loves her, he wants her to have a good and happy life filled with all the things that we're taught to want. A loving marriage, children, a happy family. And as soon as she mentioned getting married as a lesbian, they turned the microphone off of her. I want to wrap this up by saying to Savannah and all the kids like her, I'm so proud of you. I know that you're just right the way you are. I know that your understanding of who you are is right and it is good and true. And I believe that happiness will come to you. I know this to be true. I know that if there is a God, if he is indeed a heavenly father and not some sky bully with an arbitrary list of rules, he or she made you to be the person you are. You are not wrong. You are not a sin. And you, my sweet little white button-down shirt and tie-wearing baby lesbian Savannah, you are absolutely going to have a forever love and a family who accepts you and a whole world of friends you'll bring into your life, people who will want to know you and love you simply because of the beautiful soul you are. I love your mom and dad. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So next week is huge. I'm going to talk to my dad about polygamy, his mom, temple divorce, and a whole lot of anecdotes about life as a Mormon kid. You're not going to want to miss it. Now, if you're in Chicago, I'll be at the American Library Association convention the 23rd through the 26th. Come see me. And as always, sharing links to the podcast and leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast is hugely helpful. And every time you do, an angel gets its wings and a puppy gets a nose boop. So don't be a monster. I'll see you next time.